Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close... You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. Clay Newcomb, tell, tell everyone the story about when you were hunting that buck and you had them all, you know, watching them all those years? This deer right here? I don't know. No, the one that you found out he was dead when you were down at the pawn shop. Oh, that That's an interesting story. So I was hunting this deer that I called Moose, and I had pictures of him from the time he was a year and a half old. And the only reason I knew, you know, a year and a half old is pretty indistinguishable. A year and a half old buck. I, I think because we're not like a hardcore, super hardcore whitetail podcast, that when you say, I've been hunting a deer that I called moose. Okay. Should, I'll get should, there. There you go. Oh, Thank you will? You. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I don't understand what was I wrong. Know, I like why the I name. I don't know the origin of the name. So the deer. Well, I, could, I don't even know the damn, I don't know this part of the story, but I can tell you what it would be. <laughs> I guarantee. <laughs> okay. You know what? It's so easy. <laughs> You're going to ask me. It's so easy that Seth will tell you why. Uh, the, mo- the deer was so big, it reminded you. No, ra- no, oh, no, 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 Chester? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on, dude. It probably had palmated antlers. Steve Rennell nailed it. Seth. Nailed it. Gave you a layup, dude. Okay. Well, the palmated, the good, palmated antlers reminded you of a moose. Yeah. Okay. Not- In Seth's defense... <laughs> 
Incest defense. Thanks, Yanni. Sam Longgren has a big black lab named Moose. Moose. But that dog doesn't have antlers. True. But what is another characteristic of a moose that is sometimes then attributed to other animals guy, or humans? Any deer hunter that goes around naming deer and watching them since they're one and a half years old is, I can, he's fixated on antlers. He <laughs> yeah. fetishizes, he's an antler fetishizer. Okay. So this deer, basically, I got. Well, I'm, I'm still talking about this. <laughs> he's an antler fetishizer. And so when I hear that the deer was named Moose. Okay, let's I say I said to you, English. let's say I said to you, and we called this buck old Red Stag, right? What would you picture? I'd be like, let me guess. Let me guess. It had a crowned tine. Mm. Let's say we called this old buck old unicorn. <laughs> I'd say, let me guess. Oh. We called this buck old rabbit ears. I'd be like, let me guess. Ears look like a rabbit. <laughs> no. Antlers look like a rabbit's ears. <laughs> anyway, so there you are at the pawn shop. <laughs> it wasn't the way he hopped around well, through the woods. That's good. You nailed it, Steve. Palmation. But what was unique about this deer? So when he was a, in, in a year and a half old deer, Rick Smith, would be distinguishable by the body size, by the mass of the antlers. So this is a very small deer. Why are you telling Rick? Because I, I'm like... Because Rick doesn't know. Yeah. And so... He damn sure knows what liver mush is. Well... <laughs> I do know that. That sounds like another story. Well, I... Oh, you weren't there. Real quick. Then I, I'm going I'm to say this and I'm shutting... Then I'm going to say this and I'm shutting up. Sure. I used to think that Rick always knew everything. Then I went through a brief period where I thought he didn't know everything. But yesterday... I proved we that were I, trying to talk I about did. scrapple. He got to talking about liver mush. We all had a good hearty laugh at Rick's expense. <laughs> For he don't know scrapple from a hole in the ground, and then it turns out that he was right because liver mush is basically scrapple with a little liver, liver thrown in, in it. it. Yeah. So anyhow, there you are. You're at the pawn shop. Good job, Rick. So year and a half <laughs> old deer. We're back there again. This deer had incredible palmation for a year and a half old deer. Usually thin horned. You know, like horns as thin as your finger this deer had like i was i'm looking for a picture on my phone year and a half old deer had like four or five inches of palmation on his right tiny antler as like a six point okay look like a moose yeah i said that deer looks like a moose <laughs> the next year i actually man the story steve if you want like the five minute version i'll give it to you there's like a 15 minute version i mean we can yeah, go yeah, deep. Uh, well seven not that i don't like the story seven Okay. I'm on it. Okay. Clay, it's the 11. Deer. Clay, it's 11:30. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 11:37 we're shutting you down. Actually it's not, but my gotcha. my my thing hasn't adjusted hey, its time. You know when you're talking to somebody, I think it's good to to count like on the front end go give me this version of that story. Oh, check this out. I know I was going to shut this up. My, is this my time? No, no but I don't, this is not going to your time, but it has to do with this. Remember how I was saying I wanted a thing that everybody would have a dial? Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a light in the middle, and if people are not very interested, they could turn their dial down and the light dims, and then you know that you're not being and very we, interesting. We'd know. A guy is making us one of those. He sent me some <laughs> pictures of the prototype. And it escalates. It's like the color changes. But And he's going to put six dials on it. I like it. Oh, oh. so everybody So I'd have that. that light right there right now. You'd be talking about that buck, and I'd be cranking that sucker way up. Nice. Yeah, yep. Go ahead. Nice. There you are at the pawn shop. So <laughs> I have... 
I recognize this buck as a year and a half old deer. The second year the deer comes back, he had such distinct antlers. I was able to recognize him again as a two and a half year old deer. I'm not that interested in harvesting this deer because he's just a young buck, but he's real distinguishable. Men, around here, we don't track bucks for years. Like in the Midwest, guys have like seven years of history. Not here, man. Bucks come and go. Like you may get a picture of a buck here two years and never see him again. Yep. Yeah, like, Mark Canyon, they kind of like almost move into your house with yes, you. Yeah. Not, man, that is not common here. Third year. So the deer at one and a half, two and a half. Now the deer is three and a half. He blossoms into like 130-inch 10-point with two kickers coming off G2s which is a deer I'm very interested in. Three-and-a-half-year-old deer around here. You don't say. Three-and-a-half-year-old deer around here is a target deer. Yep. That same year, the deer breaks his front legs, both of them. The reason I know this is because, ah, it's such a long story. Yeah, I'll give you another minute. (laughs) When he was two-and-a-half, his right front hoof was as big around as a Coke can, (laughs) and he had a massive limp. The second year when he's three and a half, 130-inch double kicker buck, his foot is continues to be as big around as a Coke can. His left front leg is broke and visibly has a huge knot midway up. The deer is like scrawny as it can be. I'm certain the deer is going to die at three and a half because it's just scrawny. Uh, I hunt the deer, never see it from the tree stand. The deer blossoms into... <laughs> a 145-inch 10-point with double kickers the next year. (laughs) Still looks like a moose. I see the deer a mile away from my house. Thinks it's a moose. No, no. The deer deer no longer carries its palmation. I'm driving one day, see the deer a mile from where I originally knew the deer was. I know that the deer is using this certain farm. I write the farmer a letter. And say, my name's Clay Newcomb. Blah, 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 blah. Go up and meet him a week later. Got a little system. Can I, can I ask real quick? When you laid out for him, did you lay out for him? You like, I feel it's, that's like a moral, that's a hard moral spot. I told him that there was a deer that I, okay. on his farm I wanted to hunt. That is honorable. I laid it out. That dude. is honorable. You weren't like, I have no reason to believe there's a deer of any size on hey. your property. <laughs> Though I would like to, right? The, the property, yeah. let, alone, let alone one nicknamed Moose. <laughs> yeah, now, now, listen, this, this you could learn something from is that nobody had ever asked that guy to hunt his property because it was not a good place to hunt. Where did this deer live? There. You see what I'm saying? Scrawny little patches of timber, a lot of stuff going on around, like, it was not the place, like the guy I don't think had anybody had ever like asked him to hunt. It was a small property. Well, I start getting, I'm using trail cameras by this time. I start getting pictures of the deer on that farm, just like I knew I would. And that year I saw the deer from the stand two different times in the late winter. And you'd know him coming because he he looked like, he was he was broken down. You see him coming across the field. Cletus did a walk. Be, Clay, you can't see this, ladies and gentlemen, at home. Clay did a walk. Like, if you watch Young Frankenstein, his assistant. Yeah. Again, you know, kind of Yeah, don't. No, no, no. Like, for a deer. Yeah, like Young Frankenstein, like his assistant. Yeah. A hitch. Hitch in the step. Some swagger. This this time, this deer's 145 inches, which around here, deer of a, maybe not a lifetime, but very few people kill 145-inch deer around here. I don't kill the deer. One time I had him within 30 yards, almost drew on him, didn't kill him. 
the next year, the deer survives. He is, he is broken down, small. He goes down. And this is what you wouldn't believe unless you see the pictures, which there's this article in North American Whitetail about this deer that I wrote and had published, all documented. That deer went, dropped down to a hundred. I found the sheds, Rick. Hold on. Oh, yep, I yep. found the sheds of the four and a half year old buck. I know you what those are. I picked him yep. up. Oh, yep. I've the been next doing year, this long enough that I can The hang next with, year, hang the deer was presumably so unhealthy, his rack dropped to a clean 130-inch eight point. The only reason I would have known it was the same deer was because of the stinking broken legs. The deer was extremely recognizable. He weighed about 140 pounds. Average buck around here, big buck, weighs 160 to 180. This deer is like super small, broken up, white antlers. Just You just, you just learn these deer. I'm getting there, Steve. The, oh no, I'm I've, <laughs> I've given up. You you got a minute anyway. Okay, but no, I don't care. I'm so I'm so. so he's dude, a, my light is red. He's <laughs> he's a hundred and thirty inches, but hundred thirty inch buck. I hunt him like he's a Boone and Crockett trying to kill him. Don't see him one time the whole year from the stand. I find his shed horns. The farmer found one, and I found the other. So I've got two sets of matching shed horns. The next year, I get a picture in summer velvet. I've got it on my phone. Of a deer that I do not recognize because at first just get the horns. And I text my father-in-law and I say, I've got a 200-inch deer on camera. Text him this picture. I cannot believe it. And I keep scrolling through the pictures and then I see the deer's whole body and it is moose. And he has, I know this because I scored the deer later. You're going to, spoiler alert. He had 31 points. He freaked out. (laughs) Jeez. <laughs> he had the same frame. He went from a, and this whitetail guys, just believe it because it's true. He went from a 130 inch eight point to a, a deer that I gross scored at either 189 or 191. I hunted that deer like crazy, Rick, that year. I mean, like, why is this part directed to Rick? Just, he just, he's, he's engaged. Yeah, he's in I'm, it. Eye contact. Man, I st- my body still stings from the cold hunting that deer. And I'm serious. Like it, it almost burned me out from late winter bow hunting because I just pounded it so hard. That the well, the year before, I'm getting ahead of myself. When he was 100, when he when he became the big deer, I was hot on his tail, hot on his tail. <laughs> I actually, man, it's too deep of a story. But I should have killed him one day. Didn't. There's a big buck contest over here in you this can county. Tell, you can tell me what happened there. Well, okay. I go up to the farm one day to hunt. I'll point out that he's telling me this, not Rick. Now I'm talking to Stephen. Distinctly turned to my direction. I'm. I go to the farm to hunt, and I've been getting a. It's early in the season. It's like October the fourth, and the bucks were still in groups. And that buck had been running with a buck that I called Con. Con stood for Consolation Prize. It was a (laughs) thirteen-point buck. It, 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 I love the thought that goes into your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you would have picked that one out, Steve. <laughs> no, it, I was trying to think of uh, some kind of thing to be consistent, but so I couldn't do it. <laughs> the deer, so Con is a stud buck that if he would be hanging on this wall. So like, and I was at a stage in my bow hunting career, I was like, I can't let Con walk by. It was just an incredible year for horn growth, which we have here. Some years are great, some years aren't. I go to the farm to hunt and I see four bucks standing up in the corner of the field and I know what they're about to do. They're, they're bedded over here. They just popped out. They're about to walk through the pinch point that my deer stand is in and walk right by me. I watch them walk back into their bedding area. 
I scuttle up the hill, get in my stand, and I'm not kidding, an hour and a half later, here comes a line of bucks coming through the woods, just going to walk right under me. I get an eye on all of them, and I know that moose is the lead. I don't see it, but I'm guessing that moose is the final buck in the in the in the in the line. It's like a forked horn, a six point, and it ended up being four bucks. And the last buck was Con, and I could see way behind him, and moose wasn't there. I was just like, "Doc, got it, moose isn't there." I felt like I could kill Con and extract him without. <laughs> without messing up moose yeah like i wasn't gonna mess up the whole hunt for this consolation prize you, you with me yeah, yeah i'm tracking man I'm, I'm, hey i tried to get spencer newharth to let me write a story on how to grunt stop a deer and he wouldn't do it why not because listen i learned I'll kick something his ass clay just stood up it's getting, clay, it's yeah, getting hot out here listen <laughs> those deer funnel right <laughs> under me <laughs> It's full pantomime what? now. What's, Spen- What's Spencer's problem? He just he just didn't think it would be of interest for, to learn how to grunt stop a deer, and I got some good intel on it. I mean, I've done it a long time, but I got you know some what? intel. I don't like running around doing this, but I'm going to do it right now. When we get done here, you call Spencer and you tell him that you just got that article commissioned. Fist bump. <laughs> call him. Okay. I'll call him. Okay. Jess, you call him. I'll call him. <laughs> so I'm sitting here in the stand, full draw. Or not full draw, just sitting there waiting. Tell him I said 5,000 words. <laughs> Three buck. And I decide I'm going to shoot Con. Four buck. He's like at seven yards. I'm about 18 feet up in the tree. Draw the bow back. He has no clue I'm in the world. I'm leaning at a tight angle. He's walking because he's in this line. And I bah, grunt stop him. I was so close to him that it spooked him. And he, 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 he spun and looked at me. And usually, Clay is looking, spinning and looking up as though the sun just exploded. Yeah. <laughs> and I had the I had the pin right behind his shoulder, shot, and he he ducked the string because he was on red alert because of the grunt stop, and it went right through the top of his back straps. Didn't he barrels out of there? We track the deer. I get pictures of the deer the whole rest of the year. It didn't hurt him. Arrow went right through the back straps. He jumped the string. So here's the lesson when you're grunt stopping a deer. Don't grunt stop a deer that's like five yards from you, seven yards from you. If you do, you got to do it. Because it's like you walk into the woods and some dude all of a sudden going, (laughs) Yes. Now, if that deer's at 30 yards, and and, and the other thing is is you got to be at full draw before you grunt stop. Like, you got to be ready. You can't grunt stop, then draw the bow. So Don't Don't give the article away. I'm devastated that I mess up con because then we had to go in and track the deer and just blew the whole area. You know, we had to do our due diligence. So we spent a day tracking the deer. No blood. No, no. I knew it was okay, but I just wanted to make sure. Now it's October the 9th. And if you kill a big buck in this county, you take it down here to this big buck contest. (laughs) Like it's just guaranteed. Yep. Because they give away like, it's just where you go. I'm good friends with these guys down at the pawn shop. I go down there, and I look at the leaderboard. They actually have photos up on the leaderboard. I know this deer like it's my own kid, you know. <laughs> and I look up on that leaderboard, and there's a dude with moose in the back of his truck standing there with moose. And I'm not kidding you. I felt like I was punched in the face. 
I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. I mean, it was just like such a distinct deer. I, I, the pawn shop guys were my friends, and I just said, hey, give me that guy's phone number. They did. They gave me his cell phone number. I called the guy. He, he doesn't know me from Adam, but I knew where he killed the deer. Just the way everything laid out, I knew where this guy lived. And I said, my name's Clay Newcomb. Congratulations, first of all, on your deer. Like, I, I wanted him to know I wasn't upset with him. I said, if you got a minute, I want to tell you a story, and I want to come to your house. <laughs> did did he, he put any he, time, time frame on it? Like, you got five minutes, you got seven minutes? So you can, yeah, you he's, like, he's like, I'll give you six minutes, and, and uh, you'll notice there's a little light in my... He, 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 uh, with a dial connected. So he was home. He was home, like, right when I called him, and, and I said, man, I'll, I'll be there. Just give me a minute. I, gr- I gathered up my sheds and took my laptop computer over to his house. <laughs> And I sat on his back porch with he and his girlfriend, and I walked them through this whole story. He was a guy that bought this property from Texas the first time he ever hunted the property. He killed that deer with a bow. Never (laughs) knew it was there. Jeez. And uh, it had 31 scoreable points. It's been 10 years ago this happened. I... Me and the guy became good friends. I gave him the shed horns. I said, "Man, take these things. I don't even want them. They're yours. They deserve they because the, the shed horns tell an incredible story of antler development. Because the deer, the deer went up, went down, and then made a seventy inch jump, or not seventy, sixty inch antler jump. Hmm. But so anyway, I mean it, stuff. You learn a lot from stuff like that, man. I mean, just e- even even dealing with. Like you can't get too caught up in a deer. Like, like well, I sounds, sounds like you can. Well, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but since that time, I've been less vested in the deer I'm hunting. I'm just like, and I was never. I just want to say I was never mad at the guy. I mean, like, man, good for him. Well, yeah, yeah you you're telling I mean? me you guys became buddies. We did. Did he? Did he? Because uh, you know he didn't have a lot into it, right? Like he just right. got it. Did it? Did it sort of open him? I mean, did he appreciate the sheds and stuff? Oh yeah, he's oh, okay. a he's a good hunter. That's the thing. He he got he did get lucky and he knows it. But he was a he was, he'd hunted his whole life. He was a good hunter. Like and it made his he'll never kill a buck bigger than that. He was thrilled. It, way better than just some guy killing it. Just like well, killed a buck. Like yeah, great guy to kill it for real. Is he still around here? He moved since then. Oh, but I still I still talk to him every now and then. Nice. Yeah. Did he keep the property? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Sold. Great story. <laughs> Getting uh, so invested into bucks like that is is tough. Yeah. My brothers in Wisconsin were after a buck named Saddam after a while because he was so sneaky. They nicknamed him Saddam. And uh, one Hold of on my- a minute now. <laughs> I mean, how long did he didn't? How, how long did he hide out? I think Ike was hunting him for like four no, years. No, Saddam. No, Saddam wasn't sneaky. He got caught pretty quick. Remember, they caught him in the spider hole. <laughs> if you'd have called him Bin Laden, you probably should have brushed up on your history a little bit, Chester, before you brought that up. Because well, I, I mean, when did? How long after the invasion did they did they catch Saddam in the spider hole? You know, I don't know. Months? They caught Gaddafi in the drainage ditch, knowing a culvert, very quickly. 
They caught Saddam pretty quick. Oh, three well. months. Now right. Pol Pot. <laughs> no, was it Pol Pot? He hit out a long damn time. Anyways, go on. Anyways, they named him Saddam. I can provide you with a long list of dictators who held out longer. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe but, it was a bad guy, bad buck or something. No, Anyways, no, I like it. I like uh, it. They big deer. He hunted them. I thought he maybe had crazy sunglasses. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Just big deer. Um, grew up a large mustache. <laughs> <laughs> on the family farm, Ike knew where this deer bedded. Um, just was invested into this deer. Passed up other deer. Um, was hunting them with a recurve bow. And uh, anyways, m- my brother Finton went in on the wrong wind during gun season. And you know, in Wisconsin, you got to try and keep those deer on lockdown. But and he was warned against this. Kind of. It was it was right borderline wind. And I think Ike got done with work, and he's like, "Where's Where's Finney?" And uh, my mom's like, "He's out hunting." And Ike's like, "Where'd he go?" You know. And <laughs> he was in, in the wrong spot. Finney climbs up the tree stand. Here's a deer get up. Couple minutes later, cross the road. And I think Ike was outside and like he heard some hooting hollering and uh Finney was just devastated. He's How like, big a deer was it? Uh he shrunk. He was probably like one ninety. Oh wow. And then he probably was like one seventy, high one seventies. Wow. Just a big deer, you know, like yeah. one once every five, six, seven years you might see a deer in that area. But uh Ike was al- was bummed, but he was almost relieved, you know, mm-hmm. in a way. He's like, all right, now I can move on and hunt. But didn't he refuse deer. to go over and look at it and refuse to go congratulate the the lucky shooter? Yeah, if you know Ike, he's a man of a uh, few words. And he's just like, let me see a picture. My dad went over and talked to him. And uh, he's like, yeah, that was a deer. It is kind of weird how he he didn't go over there, but. He just was like, "Yep, the deer's dead. Moving on." Time to move thing. on. Yeah. I think my mom was more devastated than any of the boys that that deer was gone because he was just so invested in it. But, hmm. Uh, Yanni, can you fill everybody in on the sturgeon deal? We covered this. No, we didn't cover this at all. You got to tell the whole damn story. I thought you were going to give an update, but now you got to tell the whole thing and start it with how you got tangled up in this whole thing. I wouldn't say I'm exactly tangled up in this whole thing. All right. Well, just about a year ago, Miles Nolte and I and uh, Ty Emmett and uh, who else shot it with us? Mike. Mike Lindemoot. Went over to uh, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin to spear sturgeon on uh, the Great Lake Winnebago. And... uh, should I explain what that's all about? Yeah, you got two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you put me way too, too far back into history to get this done in two minutes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's these giant uh, prehistoric uh, old fish called Lake Sturgeon that live in Lake Winnebago, and there's a spearing season for them. Oh, okay. One sec, one sec, one sec. Yep. I want people to know that this is a true crime story. It is. Yeah, this. I just wanted. I didn't. I didn't tee it up well. It could this be. Its, a, it could be its own podcast. This is a true probably. crime story. We could, if we were like most podcast companies, we would turn it into this some eight episode long 
who done it with cliffhangers, but here you get the you get the dope quick. Yeah, like, yeah, somewhere between, whole damn somewhere between like two and junkies. ten minutes. And to add a little bit to the front end of it, which Yanni denies, like he's clean, but like he is sort of involved. One degree of separation. Oh, if he gets rolled up in this and, the, and all of a sudden some people bar, barge in this door, cuff him and stuff him, not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, another, another, another weird thing is this is Chester's hometown. I, I was going to say. If they roll, if they roll <laughs> Chester <laughs> into us, this goes deep, Chester, man. I want to see you. Lift your shirt up. I guarantee he's wearing a wire. <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing it on Yeah, out. Chester might be a little closer related to this uh, story than I am. Chester's so sly. His wire is just that big headset. He's like, yeah, that's what he's, like he's like, trust me, they'll never know. It's being recorded <laughs> right here, right now. Uh, Sturgeon Spearing, you uh, you have a, a fish shack, an ice shack uh, that's very similar to like the shacks you see you guys just doing fishing through, except you cut uh, like a six by four foot hole and uh, put the shack over it. And these shacks are purpose made for uh, spearing sturgeon. You got a big old giant spear. I don't know, sucker weighs probably 30 pounds. It's got like uh, eight. Oh, they're heavy spears like that. Oh, yeah. So nothing like a pike spear. No, you barely have to really chuck them. Kind of push them. You can just about drop them, on, and it'll it'll get into that They like fish. pour molten lead in the handle? That I don't know. No, I think it's just a big steel, steel rod. No. Yeah. Anywho, uh, so we went and did it, and uh, we actually did it with some of uh, Chester's uh, extended family. Uh, his uh, cousin, right? Cousin. Cousin Jake yep. uh, helped us out, and um, he's he's super into it. And uh, out of our group, there were two sturgeon speared, I believe, in three days. And uh, Jake and I actually each got to throw at a, at, a, at a fish but didn't get one. Which in the sturgeon... Sounds about like our squirrel hunt. Mm-hmm. In the sturgeon... Two in three days? Spearing... Sorry. No, that's okay, Clay. Uh, sturgeon spearing world, two is really good. People yeah. People go years without spearing a sturgeon. Yep. Exactly. Um, yeah, I was happy just to see one. So, uh, these sturgeon have uh, row in them if they're a female of the right age class. And this row can be turned into caviar. Caviar is Roe really... Is eggs. I, see, yes. I wouldn't have known what row was. Oh, I mean, I, I do now because eggs. watched... Yeah. Yeah, fish eggs. Uh, it can be turned into caviar. Uh, caviar is very expensive. That's the one uh, piece of information that uh, I forgot to check in on is exactly how expensive it is. That type of caviar. Rick, do me a favor. Just, yes, yeah, see see what general, like, lake lake sturgeon caviar could go for. I don't know. You might not be. I don't know. You, you probably can't even buy it because it's wild Because there's no, there's no, there's Legal no market actual market. Well, there's no mass. That's actual. why you're probably under arrest. Mm-hmm. I will be shortly. Well, the farm stuff, which is not the real deal, can go for hundred bucks for eight ounces. American sturgeon caviar. So that'll give you a good ballpark. That's that's that's, that's farms. The wild stuff, I'm sure, is a premium expensive stuff. Mm-hmm. I that that doesn't sound as expensive as I thought it would be. Oh, I was, I was a, expecting the river. That's a half a pound. The river beluga gold sturgeon caviar. I don't know how much a one kilogram for. Six thousand dollars. I don't know what the. Let's just say that to make it more interesting in the story. Yeah, real expensive. Real when, expensive. When you start talking about stuff in kilos, yeah, you know you're talking about expensive stuff. Um. So, a year later. Well, oh, let me back up a little bit. 
The reason that I'm like more uh, raveled up or wrapped up in this a little bit is because for this fur hat ice fishing tour episode that we did, we interviewed a fellow by the name of Ryan Kernigs, who is known at, in, in Wisconsin as the Sturgeon General. <laughs> He's the lead uh, sturgeon biologist that kind of ran like all the management of that whole system. And that system is uh, very healthy. It, it, it's like it, it's the um, it's the ex- like the standard by which all all others are are tr- are trying to meet, and not just in the country, but the world over. People would like to have a sturgeon fishery like they had. Like a hundred years ago, they're nearly extirpated all over the world, and now here you have a place where it's so good that you can you know have a sturgeon spearing season. Uh, he was very Ryan was very helpful uh, in helping us produce the episode, got us a bunch of other interviews with great people. Um, he himself gave us a good interview. Um, in, in general, we, we had, had good luck working with him. Well, a year later, right before surgeon season this year, it turns out that Ryan was charged, has been charged with, uh, basically dealing in bartering of sturgeon eggs. Hmm. Yeah. So there's, we don't know the whole story yet. I'm guessing because they're probably withholding some evidence as this thing kind of wor- mm-hmm. works its way through. So we, we don't know I- exactly what they're going to say. But what he's actually being charged with is uh, more of like an, an obstruction because mm-hmm. he supposedly lied a little bit about what he was doing with the eggs or what, or how some of the people that were working underneath him were in quotes, funneling the eggs from these check stations. So when you kill a sturgeon, you bring it into a check station, uh, you, it's mandatory, and there's biologists there that take samples, they cut them open, they tell you, you know, male, female, how old the fish is, um, all this stuff, and the, you know, they're just collecting data. Well, supposedly, there's a couple different sort of mechanisms that have been in place for eggs to be sort of taken from there in a casual way and then gone to uh, processors. There was supposedly like a cooler with a processor's name on it when people and people and, and biologists would say, hey, if you don't want the eggs, you're not planning on doing so anything with them. the ki- person that takes the sturgeon could keep the eggs? It's not, oh, a, yeah, it's not illegal sure. to keep no. eggs. Well, why, why, why wouldn't thing, you keep them all? The, well, because, I mean, some people just maybe don't like salty fish eggs. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I know with, they don't, they don't, with, they don't have a with paddlefish. That's a that's a valuable caviar, and just friends of mine that go snag paddlefish. A lot of the people are like aware that people do it, but they're like, ah, I don't like caviar. I don't okay. know. And they don't. They don't want. It. They want the steaks off the fish, and they don't care. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyways, he so Ryan's been uh, charged with it alongside. There's also there's also three again in quotations here caviar processors that have been charged for bartering services for caviar. So the way it works, and we've gone over this a lot, is that you could offer to clean someone's caviar for them for free. Give them all the caviar or, or, or the eggs now turned into caviar back to them. They could then, if they want to, because they're your buddies or whatever, gift you as much of that caviar as they wanted. Or they, you could pay the processor to have your uh, row turned into caviar. 
But what you can't do is say, let's trade your services of cleaning for my processed caviar. At that point, you're bartering in the eggs. So uh, we've talked about this bartering thing a fair bit. And one of my favorite stories about bartering is a buddy of mine was fishing. He was shrimping. This is in Washington State. He's shrimping. And he's at the boat launch. And there's a guy coming in from fishing salmon. Okay. And they are like, oh, you got a bunch of shrimp tails. Oh, you got a bunch of salmon. And just very casually, it sort of emerges that they will do a swap. Some shrimp tails for a salmon flay. And there was an undercover warden on that dock that did citations. But fish for shrimp is not... Because they were bartering. He could have said... Like because one was given more than the other? No, because no, no, it no, was no. like a you, formal... No, there was a formal, You can't trade fish? No, there was a formal <laughs> agreement. What but what you can do is <laughs> I could go to your house. I could go to your house. And I could be like, Clay, just got back from my fish shack, man. Uh, love to have here's some halibut, and you could you could say like, I just got a you know, I just put the uh pulled a bunch of tomatoes. Take some tomatoes back. I know you love tomatoes. That's fine as long as we. If didn't I say, said, well, you know, I would give you some of my halibut, but what's in it for me? And you say, well, I happen to have okay. some some homegrown tomatoes, and I say, well, that sounds like a deal. So it's just that's bartering. <laughs> okay, I, that makes sense. I mean, it's just semantics, though, is it not? It's the quid pro quo yeah. of uh, trading things. This for that. Yeah, and all Americans know the word. I mean, quid pro essentially, <laughs> like if we went, I mean, if we went turkey hunting and I killed a bear and you killed a turkey, and I was like, "Hey, take some bear meat home," and you were like, "Well, take take a turkey breast." That's fine. Yeah, but if you said, if I if listen, I said I'll trade you, I but see what we you're have saying. had. Uh, now I want to point this out now too, and we point this out before, but I want to keep well. Because we keep getting emails about it, so I'm going to keep talking about it. I went to... You, are you, you got a good placeholder on this Sturgeon story? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I went to uh, an attorney that represented Wyoming Fish and Game for many years. And, and, and he said, we have only... He, he could remember, he could recall no instance of the bartering and trading prosecution outside of someone like really asking for it and it being a broader yeah. package of violations. Right. That's the that's the situations when he could so recall. So if it's a bad guy that they're trying to just stick it that to. That someone was just like... Because, right. I mean, how else would you... I, I guess how else would it come up? Except for the buddy of mine who were, were an undercover guy just hanging out at the dock seeing who's coming and going witnesses a formal offer of exchange. Hmm. Like a pro, like a provisional. I'll do this. You do this. Wow. Or, or so is that what we're talking about here? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we think happened. Now, if this guy lied, that's well. Not so good. there's two. There's two separate. Th- so there's the Ryan Canix thing going on, right? right? Where, again, I don't think we know exactly all the evidence, right? Okay. Nobody, you Innocent can't until proven guilty. You can't reach him and talk to him. But what he's been charged with is that there that he like lied about what was going on and then he also has wiped his dnr issued telephone that's where it got weird is they interviewed him right and then he wiped yes. his phone yeah 
Okay. So then these other there's mm. I think there's three other people that Chester's have been charged. nodding knowingly. <laughs> three other folks that have been charged in, in the Fond du Lac area for basically, you know, well, I think there's two that were charged with do, with processing the eggs and then trading their services for finished caviar. And then another fellow was charged for somehow get for basically serving the caviar in a restaurant. Oh, okay. Now that's... oh, so the thread goes deep. This Jeez. is like well, uh, when I first heard yeah, but... the story, I heard that he was channeling it to the Ruskies, which I don't know if anyone's actually connected. It. So <laughs> yeah, that that I, t- that titillated me. Yeah, I, and I, I, I've heard some other uh, things that we haven't reported on, sort of like stories that people have heard, and I don't think I want to bring them up because it's just like they are. No, t- no, I should hey, clarify. I should clarify. Not... I have just, just. I want to defend that, like. <laughs> I, I heard that. I have read or seen nothing that suggests anything to do with any Ruskies. It, it sounds good though, <laughs> but that's just hey, what I heard. I think I think it's worth noting that the re, like there might be people listening that wouldn't understand that one of the pillars of the North American model of wildlife conservation is non-commercial use of wildlife. I mean, that, it's just real simple. Yeah, but it just gets complicated. Yes. Like we can't yes. sell. Like I can't well, kill but, a deer and sell it. But you can you can sell furs. You can sell bear oil. As a hairdressing, you cannot sell it as a food. But that's another podcast. In you can general, sell beaver meat. You can sell like there's. It's generally yes. Generally, generally yes. But yeah. fur bears and there's, there's all these other designations. Exceptions. But generally yes. Generally correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's why you can't just take a big sturgeon, fillet its eggs, and sell its eggs or trade it. So that that's the that's the crime. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're yeah. Yeah. So uh, a couple of these processors have been previously warned that the way that they were doing it was illegal. Ooh. Yeah. That titillates me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they sort of kept on, you know, and hmm. do, doing their program. Um, Ooh, Yanni's no. Yanni's like a subject matter expert. Listen to him over here. <laughs> he, this is without notes. He's just... How much of this did you steal from Durkin? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I had it. It's all the same information. Hmm. But yeah, I certainly to prepare for this, I, you, I read his article. Did you do any? Did you do any uh, original research, Johnny? Outside of uh, me being there a year ago, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I made a. Did phone, you make some calls? I made one phone call, but it was more just to see how the sturgeon was going. The sturgeon <laughs> fishing was going this year, and we just happened to talk about this a little bit. And you got a little inside dope. Yeah. That's which good. I'll tell you right now, which what it is, is and which is why it, it makes it like a uh, controversial, contentious kind of a deal right now. Because as easy as it is for all of us to do what we all just said, say, hey, take some tomatoes. Oh, yeah, great. Awesome. I brought you some halibut. Uh, it's it, it's very close to being illegal, right? And And, mm. and, and, and you can't trade these things mm-hmm. right and so um i, I don't want to say they're making an example out of it because it's illegal and you can't do it right the law is but the law the law is the law but, but that's the way these things work though yeah that culture begins to establish itself and then at some point they go enough is enough and they pick somebody and they nail them i have had two people in two different states write to me with proposals that they were doing on their own Nonprofity, where they were looking to set up wild game exchanges hmm. through a social community 
a social network community of participants. Hmm. Both hmm. towns was like, dude, you can't like you cannot do that. Hmm. They're like, I have so much elk, I need some. Yeah, of this the, one other of them stuff. was the guy. One of the guy was in the in the town we live in. Yeah, wanted well, to set up a wild game exchange. Yeah. So the 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 local, uh, I think, feeling a lot of people are like, oh, come on, why you got to do this to these folks and you know put them through the ringer? You know, so much good has been done by you know these people for the sturgeon because all these people that are involved in this are have also been very um, active in sturgeon preservation, yeah, preservation, yeah. restoration uh, for a long, long time, and uh, they feel that it's like making a big deal out of a. Yep. Minor exactly. hands. Are you going to talk about the, the older couple? Oh, you know some stuff? Well, he, yeah, he that's. I, I just decided to like to limit my. Okay. I, I had to cut it off at some point, otherwise, this would go you on forever. You weren't not trying to tell that part? Yeah. Just, I, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it. We okay. needed to know who exactly these people are, you know? We're, we're talking about who's, you know, what the problem is. Because that was. Yeah. And really quick, just having grown up in that area, if you know Wisconsinites, very great. A lot of them are just great, very great people with no ill intentions. You find that not to be true in the other 49 states? No, but oh. it'd be like you could go over there right now and you'd probably run into somebody on the street and they'd be like, Hey, uh, can you come over here and get the leaves out of my gutter and my mom will trade you for a couple rhubarb pies? <laughs> You know, like, and say, well, tell, tell your mom, Chester, I says is, hi. Uh, is that wild? So, like, is that rhubarb uh, wild game? No, but I'm just saying, like, it's just like always these little, um, culture of bartering, just yeah, little crime break, little but, crimes, but not, <laughs> n- not even, not even like. It's a community. They don't know help. they're doing it. They don't know. It's a community it. patchwork yeah. held together by the commission of small crimes. Yes, <laughs> no. it's just people being nice no. <laughs> doing crimes that they don't know that they're doing. Yeah, I, and I, I mean, I, <laughs> welcome to rural America. Hey, like, yeah. So she was having a problem with the old man, and I'm a good neighbor, so I shot him. <laughs> just that's just the community we live in. That would be knowing. <laughs> Here's a pie. No. Uh, I know what you mean, Chet. Uh, no, I'm with Chester. I'm with you. It's like... I'm just teasing you. I mean, the law is the law at the end of the day. Is that what's, that's what it comes down to, but people trying to be good people is what I I think a lot of this... Maybe not on Ryan's side, but on some of the other folks' side, I think that that could have been the case. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's, how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. 
The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Decked is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Hey, you know when you take uh, some time to clean out, uh, let's say like clean out your garage and you're like, man, how was I living like that with that place such a mess? Well, check this out. If you've been paying a fortune for wireless and then you switch over to Mint Mobile and get plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you'll be saying, how was I ever affording to do that way I did it before? It's time to switch, okay, to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater, and you will cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Again, mintmobile.com slash meat eater. It's a $45 upfront payment required, which is the equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season... It was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized I didn't drink anything all day, and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick. It's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code meat eater at checkout that's 20 percent off your first order when you shop better hydration today using promo code meat eater at liquidiv.com i'm gonna editorialize here a moment now i don't know anything beyond what yanni just told me i don't know any of these people but to editorialize a little bit it's op-ed segment yeah this is this is the opinion segment yanni gave the facts i'll give the opinion and i didn't really know i could see it's easy for me to envision, if I like lived here and understood this all, it's easy for me to envision coming to that the conclusion of, uh, really? Really? In terms of the, the extent of the press coverage, even, and we're, we're adding to the problem right now, that it, it's like, Unless if the story was that people were going out out of season, okay, or like or or um, fabricating permits or committing wire fraud. Yeah, to, let me to, slip something in here. Is that like if Koenigs all of a sudden is caught with like an extra fifty k that no one knows where it came from? Yeah. yeah, and he's got like three dead sturgeon in his trunk. 
oddest, you know, something, but you could just picture one of it being that there's just during the season, there's this mad rush of all these freaking eggs, right? And over the years, it just has kind of become that some jars of eggs get scattered around and, and everybody feels like they're promoting sturgeon and looking out for the resource and we're not out like killing them just to carve eggs out of them. And you know what I mean? I could just see that you would be like, man, they were being wrong. They need to be put in their place, but it's getting a little crazy. The reporting and the. Yeah. Cause the fines are pretty hefty. I forget the dollar amount, but I want to say like, it's like up to nine, is it nine months in prison, something like that. You know, with like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in fines. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. You know, I, I hope that it can be resolved in a way where the folks that did the wrong understand and will, you know, change their ways. And, um, you know, that the public that is looking at this will also go, okay. That was educational for me, too. I know what I can and cannot do, and I won't, you know, participate in stuff like that. A couple years ago, I don't think we ever reported on this too much, but a couple years ago, there's a guy, there's a, you know, a, 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 I don't want to name who he is. There's a hunter who does a lot of outdoor media. And all over the news one day, like, not the news, but sort of like in the text message hunting's you know, sphere and on blogs and stuff is like, oh, he's a poacher, got caught poaching, hunting with no license, all over the place. You hear so-and-so, hunting with no license. And it wound up being, he had a license. Out-of-state hunting. Had, what he didn't have is his $5 archery stamp. He didn't have his $5 archery stamp, mm. which he was eligible to have purchased. So he had his certificate number for the bow like what is that the, the national the sort of nationally recognized yeah the the archery safety class but hadn't so he had bought his like 600 and some odd dollar elk permit but didn't get the five dollar archery enhancement but right and people get real excited about this stuff yeah and you look into it and it's you know you're kind of like i have a feeling that he wasn't like oh i'll show i just found a way to save five dollars <laughs> They'll never catch me. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's not a poacher. Yeah. No. It happens where people get real excited about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but the phone deleting. That, yeah, yeah. There's some shady stuff in there. The phone deleting's a little. Titillating. Like I said. Yeah, it titillates I, me. I, I think we'll know more. And we'll it's such do, a dirty we'll, sounding word, but it's just not dirty. Nothing wrong with that word. But man, does it sound dirty. Sounds dirty. <laughs> I wonder what the outcome would have been if there wasn't any hint of malice. Like I don't know, I don't know this guy at all. I just I just would bet my truck that he's a good guy that wasn't trying to do anything wrong. But the whole delete the phone thing, like maybe he's, maybe he's just a stupid criminal. Maybe he's been mm-hmm. the best guy his whole life. And then realized he was in a little bit of trouble and then did something stupid. When a good criminal who's been a criminal their whole life would have known not to do that. I mean, I'm not defending the guy. He'd have been I, like, um, I'm just bad. He'd have been like, can't text, I'll call. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so when the, when that's Big Brother sees it, I'll call you from a payphone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what the good criminals do. Yeah, you know, there's a story that's out right now. I feel like it came out before, though. I don't really understand this. Someone check into this for me. Because Corinne pointed it out to me, and it's here in my notes. The, 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 does, every year the, the, does every year the squirrel hunting contest in New York by the German Sportsmen's Association, they try to shut down their squirrel hunting tournament? Oh. So February 27, the Germantown Sportsmen's Association has their annual squirrel hunting tournament. Seven years running. I should go. I'd like to go hunt this tournament, man. Seven years Get running. teams or is it solo? They're getting death threats. They're getting vulgar phone calls, and they are not going to shut down their squirrel hunting contest. Keep it alive, man. All the meat gets used. They use it for their fundraiser. They use it for the banquet. The argument against it is this. Killing in the name of fun and family bonding seems contradictory. They've never been squirrel hunting. Because, boy, is it fun, and do you get to do some bonding. Yeah. They want them to replace yeah. it with something that promotes family values. What do they suggest? A beefsteak? Does that promote family values? Yeah, if they had a big old beefsteak, if they had a steak dinner, would anybody be giving them grief? And <laughs> no. the damage no. in so many ways would be so much greater. You get they, I like this. It's uh, the weight of your bag. Oh, that's a good way to do it. It's like bass fishing. (laughs) Yeah. So you Uh, get a limit and they weigh out your limit. Man, yeah, you better go. uh, Dude, I want to hunt this tournament so bad. Germantown Sportsman's Association. So uh, instead of calling them and and making their death, giving them death threats and whatnot, you should call them and say, I hope that you uh, stay alive a long time. Um, Steve, are there rules? Can you use dogs? Me and you and Yanni could roll up there with a couple of hot mountain feist and do pretty and they good. might not know what hit them i know that on facebook they have tree and feist. yeah somebody's gonna call 406 people are talking about it 614 likes but no i don't know the details we can get back with you on that or if you'd like clay we'll go up there with some mules and dogs listen i got this idea <laughs> why don't you i knew you were gonna say that call over why don't you call over conduct some interviews and come back and report to us about New York squirrel hunting tournament. Done. Uh, another quick squirrel. A couple quick squirrel. If you go, I'm going to. I'll okay. leave him behind, but I'm going. Okay. No, no, no. I'm not saying to not go. Is you not going to make it this year? Oh no, it's a quick turnaround. Teams it, of two. Yeah. Teams oh, look of at two. this guy. This guy's like a. We'll split it up. Cash prize. We'll take tests. Bonus yeah. weights given for red <laughs> yeah. or black squirrels. Seth got tests. So if you get a black face, if you get a black, now do they mean red like what? What do they mean? They that's, that's mean fox. fox. Guaranteed. So bonus for fox. Really? Bonus for fox? And you get a bonus for black face gray. Hmm. Now that's getting a little too flashy for me, boys. I'm all about They're the They're trying to make it interesting. When it comes to squirrel hunting. I, was, I, there, I know of a spot in New York where all you see is black face gray. You best get over there. Yeah, if you want. I, I know a spot in uh, southwest Michigan, same thing. So if you wanted to do, if you're like a you know smart criminal, you could hunt up a bunch there and make a quick drive up to, put, put up them, to New put York. Put them in your yeah. bag. You don't even need they to. Do My metal detecting over the piles of squirrels, make sure someone didn't like stuff like lead balls down their throat. Yeah. Uh, I remember that reading about that in a shark tournament. They found a shark pack full of sash weights. So then they started x-raying the sharks. 
Hey, th- that might be a reason to use lead shot for squirrels up there rather than 22 <laughs> head shooting. Yeah, because with 22 head shot, you lose weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ca- that carries off some of the weight. You know, I, I one time, uh, I want to get back to this squirrel news, but we, years ago, were turkey hunting, turkey hunting in Wisconsin. And the local bar, which, like, all the revenue at this bar seems to come from the same six alcoholics. What was that town? Oh, e- yeah. Eli? No. No. It, Damn it. We're all looking at Chester. No, not it's Roscoe. Not, it's not in Chester's L- neck of the woods. Oh, yeah, you're on to it. L- Elroy. 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 Anyway, this the, here's the funniest part about the story. So well, there's two funny parts. Anyways, there's a bar in Elroy. And no, 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 no misrespect to the to the drunkards that spend their entire day in this bar, but if you ask them, they are all exceptional turkey hunters. So I get a big turkey, <laughs> and everybody's like, and my buddy had already signed me up for the t- big turkey contest. And he had to put like three bucks in or five bucks in to sign me up for the big turkey contest. I killed turkey, got it. Hot day. Mm. I got it and bring it down, but it winds up being like for a while it's on the leaderboard. I'm like number one heavy turkey. You're trying to tell them, oh, if I hadn't got it. Oh, and the old drunks in this bar. He got it the turkey. Have you ever? He got it the turkey. We go back in there a couple days later and I can hear him. They're still in there. And can it get this? He got it the turkey. <laughs> and I lost that damn thing by ounces. Mm. The funniest part about it is I knew we were like by Doug Dern's kinda, and Doug Dern's talking about being over in Elroy like like you're in Marrakesh, okay? Like oh my god, over in Elroy, who <laughs> right? And one day we decided to go to Doug's, and it's like we like drive down the road like I don't know minutes and we're at Doug's house. <laughs> I was Those like, people oh. down there. <laughs> I thought. It's like Doug could like yell over to Elroy. <laughs> oh my God, Elroy. Uh, so, oh, here's another good squirrel story. They had a squirrel with a radio collar. We're talking about squirrel distribution, which I've taken interest in. I don't want to tell anybody why. It's a secret. But in fact, there was a thing about what I don't want to talk about in here, in my notes. And I, well, I deleted it. Then I put it back in, but put a note, a comment note that this is a secret. Mm. Secret thing I know about. Anyhow, the secret I know prompt, prompted a question to uh, our the squirrel biologist we recently had on. That episode is called The Squirrel Doctor is In. Um, in Pennsylvania, Seth, you'll appreciate this. In Pennsylvania, they had a, ear tagged squirrel that traveled 62 miles really hmm hmm i believe it we'll have we'll have mass years in pa where it's just, it's just nothing and all the squirrels disappear gone can't find a squirrel anywhere travel and then and then you next year no yep. good mass year all the squirrels are back you know what i'd do wow. you know what a radius is in a circle, yeah. I would put the, I would make a radius around that plate wherever you are. I'd make a radius sixty-two miles around that point, and then I'd get in my car and drive. 
do some surveys. <laughs> Someone that. real sharp could figure out how far you'd have to drive. I'd drive. Pi. Yeah. That's the equation. And I'd find them. Circumference equals something, something. Pi divided by R. Okay, Clay, do you want to start on, do you want to start on, what do you want to start on? on I think we should start hunt? on raccoons. Really? Okay. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's fresh. Yeah, it's man. We're, well, primarily mind. because I feel like we've reported on squirrels so heavily over the years. Yeah. And we'll continue to report on squirrels. We're going to report on squirrels today. But we have not given due reporting. To coon hunting. To coon hounding. Yeah. Um, well, we've had a tough... We've had, we've, so now you've only been here for three nights, Steve. So you've hunted the last three nights. Yanni and I have hunted the last four nights together. And this is about as tough a conditions as we've, as I've ever hunted in. You know, we have right now in the Ozarks or when Yanni got here, there was six to eight inches of snow yep, on the ground, seen. which for here is a lot. It it does happen, but it's a lot. We had records. Yeah, Lows. it's so, to back you up, it's so rare that I called a buddy of mine who used to hunt a lot of coons in southern Missouri, which is not far from here, yeah. and I was asking him about cold, snowy conditions, and he's like, I really can't tell you because I think I hunted those conditions twice in all my years. Well, that's exactly what I told you. You you said, hey, Clay, have you ever hunted in the snow? And I was like, one time <laughs> I hunted in the snow. So I didn't really know what to expect. Um yep. But no, the the, the low record, temperature record lows. It was negative twelve on my phone for the town that I live in in northwest Arkansas. Like two days before you got here, Sunday morning. Yeah, there's I ponds think. around here that looks like you could walk on on the ice and go ice fishing. I and walked I, out on one, and my uh, Seth knows about this. <laughs> ice talks to me. <laughs> I walked out on one, and it was not. It wasn't. I didn't like it. Yeah, it wasn't just quite. something about it, and I got off quickly. But still, yeah. how often do you even see a pond frozen over? <laughs> I mean, not like this. So, so what was you know? What was uh, so uh, hold on a sec. I I didn't set this up properly. I didn't do a good. I have a tran. I have a better segue. Okay. Because see, I was set it up like we're going into squirrel. And then you switch your route. But we went into coons. So check this out. Let her rip. We were talking about how uh, when they trained dogs in Germany, apparently, NAVD and all that, hmm. you make the dog get into a barrel or a cage and scrap with a raccoon. Hmm. You know about this? I've heard of it. And I got to talking about uh, people putting a dog in to fight with a weasel or to fight with a rat. I've done the weasel fight thing. Really? Yeah. Really? Just like... With what kind of dog? No, just personal. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had one growl yep. at me in a culver pipe. Yeah, yeah. Did you have to scrap? He, he Almost. Was setting, <laughs> he was setting a trap, <laughs> and he went down there and set the trap, Dude. and the weasel was in the culvert already. They're going to set a weasel Screamed trap. Screamed like a baby. <laughs> so I did not. <laughs> oh, hold on. You got, this is in Texas? No, no this, with them. The, the, this is Montana. A, he talked about it on the podcast. I reached down in oh. a culvert pipe to set a trap, and there was a weasel in there, and it snarled at me. But it was in a culvert pipe, so it's... Sounded really loud. Yeah. Sounded like a tiger. <laughs> He's like, it's a Bengal tiger in there. It made me step back. I would have jumped, too. (laughs) And when you put your nose down there, you can just smell that weasel in there, too. Phil, I think you should take out Steve saying NAVDA, too, because I believe NAVDA is North American. I know, but it's all... Listen, no. 
Okay. Take out me could not being able to find my stuff, but keep Yanni in saying to take out Navda because Navda <laughs> is heavily influenced by German versatile hunting dog stuff. Correct. Heavily Correct. influenced. But I know I just don't want it to make it sound like you're saying that Navda now has these things going on where they like make I can dogs tell you they dudes. maybe don't condone it. They maybe don't talk about it. But I can listen, I'll take this to the grave. I can <laughs> tell you there are people who are okay, not Navda. There are people who are into the versatile hunting dog aesthetic mm-hmm. on this continent. Mm-hmm who might uh, pay attention to NAVDA and be interested in that stuff who are still believers in making them duke it out with a raccoon. Uh, I totally agree. Okay. This guy has firsthand knowledge of a farmer who had a wiener dog. Dachshund. Dachshund? Yeah. He's a grain farmer. And he had a dot. He even has it here, a Dachshund. Parenthesis wiener dog. <laughs> I'm looking at it right here. I, know, his, I believe you, you just went the other way with it. <laughs> you like <laughs> I, don't how, I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't want to get caught not knowing how to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. I it, thought it was a dash. It, it, it looks like yeah, dashend. And I knew I'd mess it up, and then everybody have a laugh at my expense. And I there like to go. laugh at everybody, but I don't want anybody laughing at me. So he had a grain silo. So he's got a grain farmer. He had a wiener, a dashing, Dotson. Dachshund. <laughs> Dachshund. He had a Dachshund that he would put in a box and make him duke it out with pack rats mm. because he had such a problem with pack rats destroying the wiring on his trucks and equipment when he stored it for the winter. So this Dachshund, am I saying that right? Dachshund. Hated pack rats because it happened to fight them in that box and would go hunt them and protect the equipment and trucks during winter storage. I have you know, it right we've here. Had, Who would lie in an email? Yeah, right here where we except sit. for everyone we've ever elected to office. We've had <laughs> thousands of dollars of damage on my wife's car from pack rats getting in and chewing wires. I bet that's what your dog ate last night. Probably so. I wasn't thinking oh, when I was yeah. thinking about what yeah. that dog ate. I wasn't thinking about a pet. That's what it was. Big pack rat. Yeah, what the hell else would it have been? Yeah. That's the only kind of big rat we have. Okay, what the hell are we talking about? Yeah, oh, I still haven't segued it. Watch this now. Uh, what made him write in was Yanni talking about his his raccoon. Oh, okay. His dog. That was a good lead. Now I'll go talk about coons. Yeah. Oh, when I, like a long time ago when I was talking about training Mingus yeah. on the trapped raccoon. Yeah. So I brought it full circle. Man, that was Thank good. You. That was teed it up really good here. Now people would be better prepared to to track the conversation. Yeah. So we've just we've so I mean I you ha- could say I speaking have, of tracking. I have <laughs> I have raccoon house. To, to start from zero to bring everybody up to speed, I have raccoon hounds. Okay, a raccoon is a mammal. I would say coon. <laughs> I would say, I mean, I would just not say coon. Not a bear. Not super close cousins to a bear. Yeah. So I have coon hounds. And so coon hounds are, there are multiple breeds of coon hounds, five or six different UKC registered coon hounds. Rattle, I, them, rattle them off. Well, there's a walker, blue tick, black and tan, red bone, English, and plot. So is that all? Is that mm-hmm. all six of them? 
I think so. Sounds like yeah. it. Yeah. And so Tell them so, about how the one hand, all five. Yeah, so come, it's, well, it's easier to say the plot hound, the American plot hound, is the only tree hound that did not descend from European foxhounds. So black and tan, blue tick, walker, red bone, English, all descended from European foxhounds. If you look above you, gentlemen, you'll see a I was looking at painting that. on the wall. Oh, I can tell you about that. Well, that's a ceiling. I'd call plane. that a ceiling. Ceiling. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a there's a there's an old I'm from. depiction. <laughs> <laughs> this this that's a whole other story. You want me to talk about that later? It's a guard the gate thing. Essentially, that scene no longer exists on the earth Clay, because those dudes didn't 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 do it right. And I understand the principle of guarding the gate, and I believe in guarding the gate. But I just don't know how. I just don't consider that my those my brethren. Well, listen. Let me let me. I'm with you. I I don't either. Getting but dressed look, up in fancy little hats and riding around on Steve. a horse chasing a fox. I, I mean, I just don't. I just don't look. Look at that scene. That was us yesterday. There, look, there's a fam- there's a family of people there. They're on That's horseback. The there's Clay, dogs. You we'll talk were on about a mule. We'll, we'll talk no. about it in a separate uh, ancillary. Yeah, no, 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 I'm just saying those. That was a valuable. So what I've got, guys, is I've got this old painting of a European fox hunting scene. Men on horseback. There's 20 walkers there. That but it's not scene, even. Subs- it's that. I don't want to take up everybody's time. I'll There's talk about it too. with you. I'll talk about it with you later. Sure. God bless. I hope they hunt and chase fox till the till I the cows come home. It just isn't relevant. It's not relevant. If you would let me tell the story, you'd see why it's relevant. <laughs> why that's there. No, 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 no. I don't want to talk about that. All that is symbolic, that picture, because that no longer exists. That's why it's on the ceiling. <laughs> No, I think I'm being dead serious. That's where I put everything that no longer exists. <laughs> that's right. Goes on the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. No, because I don't for things listen, that still exist. I'm slapping Yanni on the knee for emphasis. I don't want there to be a painting of me and Steve and Giannis on mules with feists and coonhounds that ceiling. they have to make paintings of because you can't do it anymore. Oh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Sure. That's that's the metaphor. That's why it's up there because I don't want that to be me. I want my kids to be able to ride mules and hunt with dogs and do the stuff that we've done. So that's All that's the metaphor. I, I think yeah. it's a little flawed, though, because I think usually people make paintings of things that are celebrated. So in a way, I do want a painting of us, but I don't want that paint to go on <laughs> to a ceiling. It'll be on a regular wall. <laughs> yeah. You don't want it on the ceiling of this yeah. place. Uh, so, so we coon hunt. So we have coon hounds. Uh, it's something that... I got my first coon hounds when I was 14 years old. I hunted till I went to college, got rid of my dogs, took a hiatus from coon hunting for about 15 years till my family was kind of of age and my kids and people were interested. And six, I think six years ago, I got back into coon hunting and just kind of stepped back into it. And it's a, it's a pretty, it's, I mean, if you're an outdoorsman and you're looking for places to spend time in the outdoors, it's pretty unique because you do it at night. I mean, almost even from like a logistical perspective. First of all, it's an animal that is abundant, that most people don't care about, and you hunt it at night. Yeah, I read. It involves a dog. It, it, it's it, and there's virtually no there's virtually no stress on the resource right now because the furs are not valuable enough to right. warrant trapping for them. And right. generally, trappers trappers are like when fur prices are high, they're killing nine out of ten that get killed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like high volume, sure. like high sure. volume commercial yeah. dudes, and, uh, and, and that, that's not and happening even right to now. Nerd out even more, you know the whole meso predator 
seen like mid-sized predators, you know, the, the big main predators in North America or in this part of the world, which would have been mountain lion, wolf. They're gone. The meso predators, mid-sized predators are more. There, I've got some research papers over here from some stuff I was looking at. Like there is an unnatural amount of raccoons in North America right now as compared to pre-European settlement. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I was reading in our little uh, fact sheet I want to say it was like, how many people are in America now? 325? Yeah, rough, yeah, around. I think it was around 300 million raccoons in our country. I remember thinking like, wow, it's almost as many people as live here. I think that's incorrect. You do? Just gut, just gut. Uh, Rick, Rick, fact check me. Dude, Rick couldn't, you see how fast he grabbed that phone? That's like the kind of thing. Yeah, that, but you know why? It's because he wrote that fact no. sheet. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't actually. Oh, all right. Okay, go ahead, Clay. So, so we when you when you coon hunt, you coon hunt at night. Three hundred and you cast you, million. You turn loose your really three hundred million coons yep. in North America. You ever hear about how they how they do that? Wildlife Services does that drop of uh, rabies vaccination pills from the air to spread to stop raccoon rabies. That's some interesting stuff. Hmm. Go ahead, Clay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There you are. You're in the pond. I, I was You're just, the pond I was just gonna describe. <laughs> yeah. And I call the guy and I'm like, I'm bringing you some shed horns. I, I, so when we coon hunt, what we do is we go out to a likely spot, usually involves water, big woods, like you want to turn out around a creek, around a pond. And these are trained dogs. And, you know, we could go a thousand different ways of how you train dogs. A lot of it is breeding, getting the right dog to start with, and then you condition that dog and, and train it. Yeah, we and, have uh, to get into the training a little bit because that's the whole reason that sure. Chester and I are driving 20 hours each direction yeah. with my dog so he yeah, can get yeah, some yeah. training done. Let, let me just like set up what coon hunting is, how we do it. So we, we turn loose our dogs in a likely spot. These dogs are free cast, which means we just turn them loose. And the idea is that they would they would go out on their own, find coon scent, trail the coon and tree the coon and so what i was and, telling and, Giannis, and i want to add in to that like the 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 reason there's like a name for free casting or not that's not the reason but the other version of cut cutting a hound loose mm. to go track something is that you like we do in montana looking for mountain lions we find the point. track and then you put the dog's nose that's literally right. on that track and so start the, him the there. human they don't, finds the track in the snow or in the mud yeah. You turn a dog, you'd bring a dog to the Set him on the right direction, too. Free, free cast is where, I don't know where a coon is. You know, I just, I just know by this pond, there's likely a coon within three, 400 yards of here. Maybe he's 50 yards, maybe he's 500 yards. I'm going to turn this dog loose. This dog has the instinct to hunt and prey drive. He is going to, he's going to seek out coon scent. Uh, and real quick, an interesting thing you told me. Tell them about what, what's it called, Yanni? When you don't free cast, is there a term for it? Put them well, out on a track. R- well, I, I mean, know. if you're big game, so there's lots of different things. If you're big game hunting, a lot of guys rig dogs, which means you drive around. In no, a no, truck no. I mean, what's it called to stick his nose in a track? I mean, just turn them out on a track. Just turn them on a track. Yeah. We talked about this. I was like, what happens when people, if a coon cuts across the road in front of you? Yeah. Clay was saying that. The, the strategy is drive past it, wait a while, and then come so back. it's not too hot, it's, it's, and then bring them back and put them on it when it's not too hot. Anybody that's listening to this podcast that's a coon hunter for very long has had this happen. You're going coon hunting, and you see a coon cross the road. The 
first instinct you have is to slam on the brakes, <laughs> jump out, grab your dog, and just throw it on the track. And, it, it, I mean, just universal. Have you done it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Many times. There's too and much in the air, probably. I've learned, not just from my experience, but from others telling me the same corresponding story. Dogs have a real hard time with a super fresh track. They'll usually take it the wrong way. This happened. I saw a coon track. This was like three or four years ago. I saw a coon cross the road in front of my truck, going to the right, going off down the valley. I turned fern loose on that hot track. She just erupts. <laughs> she goes 250 yards the other way and trees a coon on the side of the mountain over there. <laughs> Dead serious. Like that... You, you know, you just feel like she's going to hit it. So, so what you do if you can discipline yourself enough to do it is you just basically wait ten minutes before you turn on the track, and then they hit the track. And whatever happens with the scent, so like there's a, there's a lot of science behind the way dogs use their nose with scent. Like there's a scent plume. Like that dog is sometimes tracking ground scent, which means the pads of that coon are touching dirt and grass and soil, leaving scent. The primary way that they're trailing a hot track is from a scent plume. So as that coon or even you or me are walking through the air, microparticles are constantly falling off of our body. I mean, like skin particles, hair particles, particles from your shirt falling off, creating a scent plume. That's why a dog will run with his head up and not put his head right into a track. And so depending upon how hot, how fresh the scent is and how... Um, good the conditions are conditions are everything if it's cold it's one way if it's hot it's another way um like so there's just all these variables that come with the olfactory conditions that a dog can trail so what to go back to the sequence that i want that i told Giannis and steve so to a coon hunter like the the objective is to get a coon like we're after a coon there are better ways to get coons than with a dog. Like if we were just like, if Steve was like, Clay, I got to come to Arkansas and bring 10 coons home with me. I would have said, well, let's put out some dog-proof traps. You know, let's like, there, there's a more Coon efficient, cups. yeah, there's a more efficient way to, so like the whole thing is about working with this dog. That's part of it. And uh, so what happens when you're a coon hunter is if I took Rick Smith out, he might have, if he hadn't heard the spill the first night, just been like, the dogs barked, and then there was a coon. Like, big deal. My yard dog barks. Well, to a coon hunter, the nuance inside of those barks is like a book. It's like a story. And, man, I mean, y'all, it was dark last night, and I can't hear out of my right ear. And the, you got, Holy you know, cow, this, you want to talk about a handicap. No this doubt. Guy. No doubt. I'm sure everybody knows this, but when you hear a sound... Your ears are making a calculation. It seems crazy, but this is when a sound hits your head. What are you laughing about? It's no, it's true. I know it I know. sounds insane. Your brain knows which of your ears the sound got to first. As fast as that yeah. is traveling. Yeah. In fact, that's why when you're underwater, you can't tell where it came from. Because it's traveling what, thirteen times faster or something like that? Look that up. Uh, my guess is seven times fast. Look at that. Mm. When you're underwater and you hear like a whale way off or you hear a uh, um, bo uh, boat motor, you feel like you're going to get it's run traveling up. traveling faster than in air? Oh, yeah. Huh. So fast that. that your brain 
can't pick it. That's four, why when you four, hear t- four times fast. That's why when you hear an outboard, you when you're diving direction. underwater and you hear an outboard, it feels like it's going to hit you from some direction, but you can't tell what, or you feel like you're surrounded mm. by whales. Wonder. That's what a whale sounds like. Um, kind of like coot now. Yeah. Kinda so like a crow whistle. Yeah, that's why it's so disorienting. Your brain knows what ear that sound hit first, and mm. it like through some calibrates direction. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Clay's got a bad, a bum ear. Every noise, Clay's like, where'd that come from? Mm. Where'd that come from? He cannot tell where it came from. Uh, so You could play a hell of a trick on you. Oh, you could for sure. I'm going to start hiding out in the woods that night. <laughs> hey, do you know? <laughs> do you, hey, do you want to know how I learned that I couldn't hear direction? When I was a kid, I'd be hunting with my dad, and he'd holler at me from, you know, we'd, we'd split up to scout for deer. And he'd be like, Clay. And I'd be like, yeah, come over here. There's a buck rub. And I'd just take off going that way. <laughs> and he'd holler, Clay. And I'd be like, yeah. And he's further away. And I'd take off after him. And I mean, it, w- I, it would just. So that's not, that's not like a, a result of uh, blowing an ear when out. When I was in the ninth grade, my ears started ringing. After getting a twenty two pistol and burning oh. up about 2,000 rounds out of it. <laughs> There you go. But but I didn't shoot guns. You're listening at home, kids. Where you're at. What's funny now is like day late, dollar short. Dude runs around all day with earplugs in now. Oh. I'm like, well, Well, you don't want to lose the other one. Hey, Steve, if you clapped your hands real hard by me, my bad ear that I can't hear out of will ring so loud I can't hardly hear people talk. Oh, Like if you just went pop, like Mm. close to my ear. That's good to know, too. Do that to him, Seth. Yeah, I mean, like, no, so, I so I, I really take care of my bad ear because that's the one that rings. So, oh, anyway, that's the one you're protecting. When, when <laughs> you'll learn if you hunt with me very much, I always ask people to tell direction. I was doing it with y'all yesterday. Oh, you're, I not, was even, like, you're not even ashamed like, of it. I was like, which direct point? I say point, point where that dog is. And Steve would be like, this way. Michael and ear does it. Where I say point at those dogs because I hear them because <laughs> I've got a good ear. <laughs> I've got one ear that's great, which is a blessing. It's ba- you know, if they're both bad, I couldn't hear people talk. I can hear you talk fine. Oh no, you hear it. You I just, just don't know where it was. I can't tell it's at. Makes for a tough uh, turkey hunt. Oh, dude, it's sort of ruined my solo turkey career, no doubt. I want to train my mule to key in on gobbles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I, I, I've thought about getting a gobble machine. Yeah, and oh. <laughs> And then go feed the feed the feed have the a mule. treat have a treat for set it. a treat next to it, and then so when she hears a gobble on a cold on a spring morning, ears go up. A I was a little surprised that the ears. mule the the that the mule I was riding squirrel hunting. I was kind of wondering how much would you need to do this before when those dogs bayed. They go to him. That the mule would just be like, I might as well just go over there because this guy's going to be kicking my side, yanking on my reins and whatnot. <laughs> I feel like. Now, see, the mule you were riding would be one that we ride less. Uh-huh. Like, Izzy, my mule, like every time that we hunt on mules, I'm riding her. And I, I, I'd I, be stretching to say that when she hears dog bark, she just starts going. I think it'll eventually happen. She she tends to go the way they go. You should, every time you get a squirrel, feed her. Give that mule something to eat. That's a good idea. Just, so she's like... Over there where those dogs are, those, there's a tree. Those dogs are banned. That's a great idea. Those dogs are banned by some grain. That's a good idea. That's, yeah. that's solid. That, that would is work. a good idea. It really would work. Yeah. That, those those mules would sell their soul for a handful yeah, of grain. Yeah, Phil, Phil cut that out because I'm actually going to sell that idea to somebody. A book. He's going to make a book. Mm-hmm. 
Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you can still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any trucker van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Hey, it's Steve here. Picture this. You're on the African Serengeti and a lion appears out of nowhere and is barreling down on you. Well, when the difference between life and death is mere seconds, you want a firearm sight you can trust. That's why XS Sights took proven dot-the-eye sight pictures from firearms used on African safaris and applied it to modern defensive handguns. Made in America since 1996, XS Sights now offer a variety of sight pictures. As a second-generation, family-owned, Texas-based business, they believe in products that actually work. And since 70% of self-defense scenarios happen in low light, their quick-to-acquire sites are designed to help in just that situation. It's very simple, very intuitive, very clean sites. Try XS Sites for yourself and see why they're the brand trusted by industry leaders. Now, if you shop today at XSSites.com and use code MEATEATER at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. That's XSSites.com, code MEATEATER. XS Sites, the fastest sites in any light. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. We were talking about the sequence and I said like in the dark, you're listening for these certain things to happen. What might seem just like a bark to someone else is like, this this story and so there's four things that are happening on a coon hunt you turn the dogs you free cast the dogs and the first bark that you hear that is what we call a strike 
So you would hear us say that, man, Fern just struck a coon. Yep. That would mean she located the scent of a coon, and there's an excited bark. I mean, it could be a variation of barks, but it just it, there's no, like, that's sounds like what the, a sounds strike like someone bark. stepped on their tail. They strike the coon. But and every that, dog that means, is different, so you need oh, to yeah. know your dog's no strike exactly. sound. Okay, like for instance, and I didn't even have time to get into it the other night, but there was one time when Fern went way out and barked down in that field where we thought we heard a coyote. And when I heard her open strike, I didn't think it was a coon. I thought she was booger barking. Well, no, she got sprayed in the face by a skunk, right? Well, that was another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to explain booger bark. Well, let's let's not. Let me just. Uh, well, I can't. I mean, a booger bark would just be a meaning the dog was scared by something, and like if a UPS man drove up in the front of your yard and the dog was out, it would be like boom. Just kind of stand there and look. When Fern strikes, she has a squall, and when I hear a squeaky squall out of Fern, I I feel good about that. It's a coon she's after, so they strike. The next thing they do is they trail the coon. And this is this is the part of the sequence that every dog's going to be different. There's no dog that's going to be the same. But what they're doing is they're trailing the ground scent of that coon. The tempo, cadence, loudness, excitedness of that bark tells you how hot that track is. If they just blow out of there, then, man, you're like, man, that's a hot track. If it's like, we heard a lot of this this week. You're just like, man, they're they're working it. And on a textbook track, the track would get hotter and hotter, but it's rarely textbook. So there's there's the trail sounds. When you're hunting an animal that climbs trees, you have you, you and these dogs are tree dogs, which means they are bred to run game. And when that game runs up a tree, they stay there and bark, and that's a special thing. Because most do- most most hounds would be dogs that would just want to pursue game, so like running dogs. That's what we call a running dog. A running hound and a tree hound is different. A running hound, when he chases a coon and it goes up a tree, he goes, "Dang, this isn't any fun anymore. I'm gonna go somewhere else and find another one to try to catch." A tree hound, when he gets to where he believes the animal left the earth and is standing up in a tree, he will stay there and bark. Which is, think about this though, Rick Smith, this is an unnatural thing for an animal to do. Like in the wild, there's no replication of that thing because a tree hound has a human partner that will then come to the tree and harvest the animal. So like a wolf wouldn't be a tree hound. A wolf would run you up a tree and be like, I ain't getting that guy, I'm going to go catch it. You see what I'm saying? So it's this influence of human artificial selection and breeding that makes something really special. So, like, when I say, that dog's a tree dog, like what I'm going to say about Mingus in a little bit. I got a question. Can all of the so the breeds of the hounds, can they all be tree dogs? Yeah, well, I mean. Can they all be running dogs? They're coon hounds. Like, like, like all the six breeds that I just oh, described to Oh, those are all coon hounds, so they're the, all tree dogs. They're all tree hounds. Yeah. What's a hound that is not a tree hound? Well, there's lots of walkers that are running walkers, like guys that run deer, guys that run foxes, guys that run coyotes. Those are running dogs. Um, so is a beagle 
Be- beagles are running dogs. Yeah, I if a beagle, Beagle's if a, a rabbit could climb a tree, a beagle would just leave it in the tree and go find another yep. rabbit to run. My dog, my dog's a snuggling dog. You <laughs> <laughs> see someone on the couch, it's, it's just, that's where it's going. Yep, that's a snuggling. Artificial dog. human selection. Our dog is such a snuggling dog that now and then if we let the kids go into, we don't have like a living room with a TV area, and and. When the kids go into the, if it's like, oh yeah, we get sick of them, like you guys can go watch the show. And if that dog hears that a uh, cartoon or something come on, like a beeline, <laughs> whack, runs in, knowing it can go snuggle with them on, uh, the, on the thing. Yeah, wow, wow, that's a snuggle dog. Yeah, and it stays on that snuggle. So we're at part two of four. Okay, so so strike trail, and then locate. And these are all things that I could call in a sequence. The locate bark is when the 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 animal, and in our case a coon, has gone up the tree. And it may seem like the dog would just trail footsteps right up to a tree and just start barking. But it's never the way it happens. Like y'all saw last night, like Fern trailed that coon, got to generally where she believed it was, but the scent trail was indistinct to which tree it was. I mean, she was checking every tree in a 50, 60 square yard area. She didn't know where it was. And she, during that time, will let out a series of elongated barks that indicate that she is no longer on the actual linear trail of that coon. And she's like doing circles. And and every dog would be different. I know what Fern's locate bark sounds like. If you're a coon hunter, you'd say she's looking up, but she doesn't know where it's at. Looking up would mean... The dog is trying to locate the coon in the tree, but it's not real clear. They almost always locate. And so you get excited when your dog locates. So the dog strikes, the dog trails, and then when she locates, you slap your buddy on the knee and you go, man, we're about to be looking at a coon. And then the fourth thing, the fourth sequence is the dog begins to tree. That's when the dog locates the coon and the dog begins an excited series, typically of chops, not all dogs chop some dogs ball but like 80 percent of these coon hounds that are in these breeds will chop on the tree so it's like locate strike trail locate tree when last night when we were having such a time, when they were having such a time untangling that track, what I thought was interesting was you um they hit a tree. And you said, I think the treed. And we ran over there and I said, Well, there it is. I could see it up in the tree. And you seem real surprised. Yeah. Man, just because you were getting frustrated with how long it took to sort the track out? You know, yeah. I, 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 what we saw last night was, it was, in some ways, it was great dog work. In other ways, it was bad dog work. I mean, it's just kind of which side of it you wanted to look at. For whatever reason, that was a hard track for them to sort out. And I can't tell you why it was. Um, they made a massive loss. So, I should have never gone in there, Steve. I was, I was just because so, that got him confused. No, well, it doesn't help him any. But like when I was looking at my Garmin, and there's like eight people looking over my shoulder, and we've been hunting for four nights, and and we hadn't even seen a coon yet, and this is so 
not a big deal. And that's one o'clock in the morning on the and, fourth. And night. I hear Fern locating, and I'm watching my Garmin, and I see her doing tight circles. I felt like she was treed, and I said, "Let's go to her." And I made the decision we're going to go. And we got in there, and as soon as we got in there, she wasn't where I left her. You know, she wasn't. So you knew she left the tree. I knew, and 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 it wasn't. She didn't leave the tree like a bad thing. That would be a bad thing. Yeah. She just hadn't committed. Like hadn't got bored and left. No, yeah. oh no. She just she just knew it wasn't there. She wasn't certain where it was. So we got in there, and I saw her nose on the ground and not pointing in the tree. I just was like, doggone it. And, and this is after several nights of tough coon hunting. I like that you yelled at me in there too. Uh, you said. Don't start shining your light up in the trees. Yeah. Yeah. Because then they'll think they got the tree. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting that they got that. Well, I mean, the, uh, they... A bunch of dudes come in and shine a light in the tree. They're like, oh, it must be the raccoon. Exactly. Well, I mean, think, <laughs> think about it. A couple hundred times or more in their life, the only time we shine up in a tree, a coon comes falling down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So you don't, especially when they're struggling, you don't, you just cut your lights. You just kind of want to... And when we did go in on the tree... When you finally like you you the dogs were doing a bunch of they going all over the place and couldn't sort it out, but then they finally like really committed to a tree. Yeah. But you're still a little incredulous just because there's so much weirdness that had already gone on. Yeah. You had me switch my light to a green light. Yeah. So that I didn't get so that I didn't if they were not if they were not sure yet that I didn't make too much of a suggestion. Okay, that wasn't my thought at all. Oh, that was, I, th- I assume that's what it was. Okay, yeah, I can see why you'd think that, because I was telling you at one time not to shine your light. And then you said, put it on green. I said, put it on, I, yeah, I had mine on red. The reason I did that, Steve, is because we were in a cedar thicket, and those coons would get up in the top of those 30-foot cedars, and you can't see them. You might yeah, if that walk coon up, was another five, ten feet higher in that tree, it would have been harder to pick up. A coon, oh, I would have. You saw how quick I found that Steve thing. Steve found it quick. That, that, <laughs> you know what I saw? That tail. The ring on the tail. It was beautiful. Well, what I wanted that coon to do was look at it. He'll look at a red light, and he won't look at a bright light. Oh, so that's what you were thinking. Because a lot of times... You're looking by eye shine. A lot of times you get get one flicker of a coon eye right when you walk up. When you walk up, they're trying to figure out what's going on. They'll look at you, and then they'll close their eyes and just hunker down. And if they're up in the top of a cedar tree that you can't see all of it, you might get one look at him. In a red light, they'll look at a red light or a green light. Hmm. So I was worried about finding the coon. I saw Fern standing on the tree barking. I was like, whether she's got it or not, she's committed. I'm going in. And then the coon was not very far up the tree. No. Steve saw it right away. I was excited, man. Well, I mean, you know, if it was way up, I could have saw it right away too. Clay, do you think <laughs> the dog's getting sprayed by the skunk messed with him at all? You know? Because that smells so strong. We... Chester said it. Somebody said it. I, I kind of doubt it did. And let me tell you why. We have this sense of what it's like to use your nose to navigate life. Cause, but a dog's navigation of life through its nose is vastly different than ours. The way I've heard it described by someone, it would be like walking into a house and let's say your wife was cooking lasagna or you were cooking lasagna, Yanni. And you'd walked into the house, you would smell lasagna. Your dog would walk in and he would smell tomato sauce, boiled noodles, ricotta cheese, and Italian sausage. And he could distinctly basil, oregano, he black could dis- pepper. They would garlic. be like distinct colors mm-hmm. that he could separate from one another. 
So, yeah, our my dogs were out. I got to qualify this because people are going to think I have skunk dogs. Uh, my dogs were, I think they were working a little drainage, and both of them just erupted. Just, just for probably four or five seconds. Like ran into it. I think they just spooked the There was skunk. a lot, I don't know if you noticed, there was a lot of skunk tracks last night. They yeah. were out. Yeah. Because I think that warm break in the weather. So... That, and a that, lot of Grinner tracks. Yeah. We haven't seen a Grinner track, I don't think. I didn't see one. You know, we, saw, about, we saw a possum. Yeah. One he possum. left a, I don't know if you went and looked around that area. It looked like he had had a hoedown in that area. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Hmm. He'd been working and working and working and was up in there. I remember asking you what that little outburst was. Yeah. Because the, the dogs like kind of went crazy there for a second. And then you're they like, came they, probably, back. they probably just jumped something. Yeah, and, and that's oh, not yeah, I remember good. that. You said they maybe they maybe like kicked up a deer and it scared them or whatever. Got because they attention. didn't run it. I mean, they like if no. they had to run it out of the country. I mean, they just typically don't. They're pretty straight dogs, but, but it was as tough of conditions as I've ever been in for tree and coon the last several days. And just so everyone knows, those dogs treed that coon after they got sprayed by that skunk. Yeah. So yeah, yep. probably thirty forty minutes after they got sprayed by skunk. Yeah, they did. Uh, what'd you think about that one? Uh, you know, Yanni's one of his nicknames is the Latvian Eagle. Mm-hmm. What'd you think when Yanni spotted that squirrel's eyeball up in that tree? That was impressive. <laughs> it really was, man. Good eye. That's when the binos saved us. Yeah, we had a lo- we lost a squirrel in the tree. This is a segue into squirrel hunting. No, we forgot something. Yanni's dog. The, the sock. Yeah, the the ballad of Mingus the dog. Um, we lost a squirrel in the tree, and Yanni. There was a crack in the tree, and Yanni found its eyeball up in the crack. It's just like a little hole. looked like a, you know, like a hole. <clears throat> yeah, not too small. I mean, you could probably make a volleyball stick into it. Yeah. And jam it in there. An eyeball looking out. But it wasn't deep. And so when I glassed up there, you could see. See a little squirrel you, head. Yeah, you could look- see a head and the shine of its eye. That was an interesting call on squirrel hunting is like, you could see his head in there, and you definitely could have shot him in the head. But then, if you stoned him, He's he not might not come out. out. But the nature of the hole was such that you had to actually do something, go for a less ethical kill, in order that it would have a lot enough life to scurry itself out of that crack. Well, that's not what we did, though. Oh, you didn't? Do you know what we did? You just spooked him out? Yeah. I oh. shot right under the hole. Oh, okay. So what we did, so we had 22s on him. We had Michael Lanier with the 12 gauge. I had, I was carrying a 410. And I, I the, the fact that we could see the squirrel in the hole told me that the hole didn't go deeper. Like he was or else just he would have taken cavity. advantage yeah. of it. Yeah. He was just in a little cavity. And so I said, well, I'll just shoot right beneath the hole. And that's what we did. And it worked. Shot, and he ran out of the hole. It, it, it was delayed, though. A shot, boom, he didn't move. And then he broke like a few seconds later. That's the way I remember it. Yeah, and then he ran up the tree, and then I guess Michael ended up shooting it with a shotgun as it was going up the tree. Yeah. All right, talk about um uh a Mingus update. We need a jingle for a Mingus update. A little song, a little Mingus Chester, segment. Mingus, Chester, Mingus, Chester Mingus, Mingus, a Mingus, little, Mingus, little segue something song. like that. <laughs> oh, you know what I want to hey, do? I want to um, you know that old Kiss song, Beth? Oh, <laughs> it goes, Beth, you hear me calling? Yeah. Beth, you hear me calling? Beth, I hear you calling 
I'm gonna do one. I want to rewrite it so it's Seth. <laughs> but I can't stop. If I want it to be a turkey hunting song, a flesh, coon flashing song. Well, what no. you did last night. Well, I know, but now I got to thinking. Seth, I hear him calling. Oh, I like that. That'd be us hearing a gobble. It'd be yeah. all about me and Seth hearing a gobble. Oh. Yep. Seth, I hear him calling. Yeah, I like that. I like that better than mm. the fleshing. Yeah. I'm just in a turkey state of mind right now. It's coming. It's gonna be sweet when I get that song written up. Jesse's gonna help me with it. The creative projects just flow around here. Throw some chords in there. So then also <laughs> when you get working on it, work up a, a jingle for Yanni's uh, Mingus update. Okay. Yours will be... Mingus, 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 Mingus. <laughs> Don't make it that. <laughs> Go ahead, Yanni. <laughs> They're all the same. Steve's songs are all the same. Uh, well, I'll let Clay speak to it more because Clay's got more experience so he can see what my dog did and learned. But to set it up, Mingus has been trained a little bit with uh, one live coon and a dead coon in Montana, maybe four days total. And uh, he got to trail one and he fought one for a little bit and then we shot it out of a tree. And, um, you know, he got to smell it a little bit when it was when it so was He's not dead. had much exposure with Not with much, raccoons. not much. And he's been at two lion trees now. He's been on quite a few more hunts, but my hunts just haven't been panning out. So yeah. he hasn't actually gotten to run a lot of tracks. So yeah. I wanted to bring him down here for this. Yeah. So he could get some more experience. Yeah. Well, first of all, for the houndsmen out there or the non-houndsmen, Mingus is a, and I'm not just saying this because I, I don't just walk around telling people they got good looking hounds. That's just not a compliment you throw around too lightly. But Mingus <laughs> is like big old handsome looking dog. He really is for a hound. Handsome looking dog. Loud. Are most hounds known to be ugly? I mean, they're not always pretty. I'm being serious. They're a working dog. Right. What sentence would sound more familiar to you? And up on the porch is an ugly old hound dog. Or, and up on the porch is a beautiful old hound dog. Ugly. That seems like something you, you wouldn't. You don't really, You wouldn't really call a hound beautiful. You might call him handsome. Regal. Or, you know, just like. That's a beagle. Regal, eagle. Yeah, no, it really, when I saw him, I'd seen him when he was younger mm-hmm. back in Montana, you know, when he was just kind of a pup, maybe three-quarter grown. But, uh, boy, he's a big old dog. And, um, and a pound puppy. Pound, yeah, Giannis got him from a pound, didn't know anything about him, so we, we don't know the... Daughters picked him out. This, this is what <laughs> would be interesting about Mingus to me is that Giannis doesn't know any history of this dog. Like, my dogs, I would be able to tell you back to about 1750, their lineage... <laughs> And I'm sort of being serious. Uh, like, you know, you just know so much. Uh, this dog, we don't know anything. But Giannis said he was going to bring the dog. Um, I didn't, I mean, I, I was all for it. I didn't think the dog would do much. Not because he's a bad dog. Just because he was coming to a new environment. He was going to be with new dogs. He was going to be in new territory, running something he's not familiar with. And uh, and he's a puppy, and he's just yeah, he's a puppy. He's a how old is he? Probably little, little over a year. Months, yeah, and that, months. anything under two years old in a hunting dog would be kind of considered a young dog. Mm-hmm. And he might be out of the puppy stage. He might be into a young dog stage. Mm-hmm. They're pretty pliable until they're about two, two and a half years old. You got a lot of room to train and such. But the the dog, the, we cast the dogs with my dogs, and. Uh, I mean, he went hunting, which, number one, that's a good thing. He didn't just stay at our feet the whole time. Yeah, he'd go way the hell off oh, looking yeah. around. That, that, that's one of the main things I'm looking for is just drive to go. You know, cause, you yeah, know, my dog would go back in the truck. 
<laughs> well, you kept saying, you kept making the joke of when you'd see a dog that was doing that. What, what's the joke? What's the line? I don't even remember. Oh, you're always saying like, oh, Mingus is, is just over there standing there thinking like, boy, oh, I enjoy oh, yeah, love yeah, yeah, watching yeah. a good coon hunt. Yeah, Fern every now and then comes back and she'll hear Jed bark out there 400 yards and she'll just perk up and listen like she's so proud of him. She's just like, <laughs> like man, she loves hearing a good coon race. <laughs> and then, yeah, so they, so we cast the dog. Uh, and what I was most impressed with was the first night my dogs went, I think, 800 yards, which is essentially half a mile, and treed solid. And we're going to the tree, and my dogs are not big dogs. These And my plots are not loud. Like, they're just average in a lot of things, which is not uh, factors I'm that worried about. And we hear, like, the volume, and you can you said it too, Seth, the volume of noise coming from that tree, like, tripled. Oh, that's right. You guys could hear and it I from mean, the truck. It, it, yeah. it would be like this. It would be like, to, <laughs> I mean, it's just like yeah, we erupted. Thought, we thought they had turned around and came towards us. Yes. And and essentially, Mingus went to him and started treeing. Yeah. Which, which to me, that's what I was impressed with, is tree instinct, that he didn't see the I animal. I mean, just that he has the idea that yep. you stand here, put your feet on the tree, chew on the bark, make a ruckus, and don't leave. You you don't know how special that is yeah. unless you're, you're after a tree dog and you see all the ones that won't do that, even ones that are bred to do that that don't do it very well. Well, and the reason I have some now understanding of, of why it's, it is something, whether it's special or not, I don't know, but... You know, it wasn't but probably, I don't know, in December sometime, so two, three months ago, we're at a tree with three other dogs that are treeing, barking nuts, and there's a lion in the tree, yeah. and Mingus is walking around and wanting to play grab bass with the yeah. dogs and just kind of wagging his tail and like not putting two and two together at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember you saying you were trying to make him look up the tree and someone told you that don't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, even though there was a, a – a, when we knew it was a very – because on a, on a lion, when you come up to that tree, that lion ran into that tree. Like, a coon might have been there for half an hour. Right. Right? But a, a lion's been there for minutes by the time those dogs get there. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it happens like it's that. It's a good smell on the tree. And uh, even with that, he just would, like – kind of put a paw up on the tree, but there was no barking. He was just kind of like, yeah. So what, what turned them around on that? They just click, man. They just, they just, well, I eventually, and I told the story, yeah, I showed believe. them a, that's what I'm trying to prompt yeah, you. Though. Yeah. So the next time the line was a little bit lower and on an exposed branch where you could just see the whole cat and the, the hill was so steep when you backed 10 yards off the tree, you're almost eye level with it. And he was kind of just walking around, looking, looking. The other dogs are barking. That's when I grabbed his head and I pointed it up there. <laughs> and I felt his head quiver for a moment as he locked on. And then he almost blew my He's hands like, off. Guys, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the tree. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when Mingus says, guys, guys, there's a cat in a tree, it goes, It's loud. Yeah. He's loud. He's loud. He is. Well, it, it, <laughs> I was I was just impressed that he did that. Yeah. And, and, so you and, wouldn't you? So if you if you imagine your own honor as a man, Clay, you wouldn't shine Giannis up 
just for the sake of uh, sparing his feelings. No. I really wouldn't. I Now, what I want to qualify, I've tried to be encouraging to Giannis. Yeah, but because don't treat the, him like a child. No, 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 no. Okay. I just know there's a lot of people that if your dog does something good, they wouldn't tell you it was good if it was the best dog in the world. And I'm just not <laughs> going to be that guy. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, the dog's doing good. I, I don't want to say that, like, there's so many other components that make a whole balanced hound. Right. That's just one of them. Yeah. And he's got it good. So there's all like so that doesn't just mean because I say he's a good tree dog it means that Mingus is going to be the best lion hound in the West. There's a lot of other factors that come in that are going to determine like his end goal. But for a pound dog that's been your yard dog, I mean I was totally impressed. I mean my dog that I've got out here that's the same age as Mingus that we did not hunt um, that was bred specifically. I mean it's out of my fern dog won't won't do that. So, I mean, I'm just saying. You're like, hoping it will. Yeah, it, it will at some point. It just hadn't yet. Yeah. But So I'm not trying to shine him up. I was just impressed with the dog. Well, look, we, uh, we as a team, Mingus and I got benched too yesterday because yep. it was tough conditions. That'll tell you that I'm not afraid to hurt his feelings because I actually wanted to talk to you about that in private to make sure you didn't think I was being a jerk. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. No, I understood. I'd, I'd like to tell this. Yeah, You sure. tell me if I mess it up. The dogs are struggling on a couple tracks that were hard to sort out. And Mingus being impressionable as a young youngster and liking all that excitement, the dogs would come in and they'd check some trees and they're trying to figure it out. And Mingus would be like, there it is. It must be in the tree. And then he gets worked up and they're like, well, it must be in the tree because look at him. Yep. He's, why would he be that excited? Yep. And then it sets yeah. off a false tree. And I, I, Yanni, I wouldn't have known that except for when I walked away from, at one point I walked away from the guys and I walked in there and I watched Fern on my Garmin come down, make a certain, it's in the dark, I'm just watching a Garmin and listening with my one good ear. And I hear Fern locate Bark like once or twice, make a couple of tight circles and then move on. Mingus comes down, and I don't have him on my Garmin, but Mingus comes down Gets to the same spot Fern was, and just just starts treeing like crazy. Fern piddles around for probably five or six minutes out here hunting, trying to work the actual track out. And then Jed hears Mingus, and Jed's three hundred yards away. He comes to the tree, and Jed's like, "Oh, it's here!" He starts treeing, and then Fern's like, "Well, doggone, Mingus and Jed are treeing over there." Here I am like some sucker. I'm yeah, and so that, and that's a fault of my dog. And that's what I wanted to say last night. I wasn't trying to make an excuse for my dog's slick treeing, essentially, like treeing where there is not a coon. Cuz it like and that's just whatever. They just did it, you know. You know, Yanni's an honorable man himself. And he's a grown-up. I don't think you hurt his feelings. Yeah. But I I didn't want it to sound like did I was he, making it strike being you, defensive. Did, did he strike you as being diminished and hurt last night, Seth? Oh no! You thought Yanni took it like a man? Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it was. Uh, he was taking it as like this is more valuable for my dog to do this. Rather well, than and the, the thing is, if we hunted together two or three nights a week, it wouldn't be any big deal. I would probably, I mean, just but we were we kind of had a mission we had to accomplish, which was tree a coon, and and it just it was just another factor, and then we could even go deeper on why my dogs are more susceptible to 
honoring another dog, which is true. My my dogs, the way they're bred, if they hear another dog bark, they're probably going to go to them. A more independent bred hound would hear Mingus bark and would be, who cares? I'm going to find my own coon. Yeah, Clay was talking about in uh coon hunting contest where you like basically it's a it's a dog handling right. like a display of dog handling that's right that they might put out multiple dogs that are competing against one another and they each got to find their own thing and you got to get a dog that doesn't care what's going on mm-hmm. that he's in a silo mm-hmm. not like a group thing mm-hmm. but in other kinds of hunting you want that group aspect so in big game hunting it takes more than one dog to tree a bear a lion and so you want a dog that, and we call it honor, will honor another dog. And uh, my dogs come from a long lineage of big game hounds. So they are not; they have not been influenced by the competition coon world. Because you can breed that they out got, of They them. got a pack mentality. Yeah, so they hear Mingus and they're like, going to him. So, and that, and that, so what happens when guys' dogs struggle? And I was frustrated. I really was. I mean, you guys come all the way down here to go coon hunt with me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll treat all the kind of coons. Then we can't treat a coon. I'm frustrated. And I'm not frustrated at Mingus or you. I'm really not. But I'm just, I see what's happening. And I'm like, probably be best to hold him back. You know? what, what I thought was fun to watch, because it's on such a micro scale, is watching the, when you, when you and your buddy had out the four squirrel dogs. And there's no leaves on the trees. So you can see pretty far out in the woods. And a lot of times you kind of know where they're all at. Yeah. And wanted to hit a tree you liked. And just watching those other ones be like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they just come running from all yeah. directions to join yeah. that one at the tree. It was kind of fun, yeah, man. Yeah. And I won't lie, it's like it's no fun to get taken out of the game. No different yeah, than when you're in a yeah. basketball game and you know you get taken out, you want to be in the game, and now you don't. You're just sitting there like trying to hang on to the seventy pound beast, trying to yank yeah. you through the woods. But I told you the first night or maybe the second night, I said, man. If I could just hear him bark out in the woods one time on like what we think is a coon track or a coon tree, like I'll consider this trip a success. So when I thought that through, I was like, man, we're like, we blew that goal yeah. out of the water, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. Clay, um, I've got a question for you. You know, you were saying how competition dogs are good when they you get them out of the truck, they get on scent and tree quick. Do you think Mingus would be a good competition dog because he does lock down in tree? Or you know what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, and I don't think the we have enough data points to like say that for sure. Because there's other things. I mean, like my dogs will go out and tree a coon quick and yep. lock down on a tree if there's a fresh coon track there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like uh, we saw kind of an atypical series of coon hunts this week because of the extreme temperatures and whatnot oh you know you know on that extreme temperature point um tell you what's interesting as hell we're out squirrel hunting and ridge pounder finds like it looked like a taxidermied robin laying on the ground not a ruffled feather on it and we're like what the hell is that all about like no broken neck, yeah. nothing. And last night, what we find? Three froze to death woodpeckers. Yeah. Steve, I didn't even like tell you laying this. there like completely, completely fine. Like anytime you find a bird in the woods, he looks roughed up, generally. Like in some way yeah. roughed up. Just like 
like you gassed it in a yeah. bag and, and, and laid it out on the forest floor. It just got froze out. Yeah, negative, Dude. negative 20 or whatever. Fayetteville got negative, negative. 20. Killing all these migratory. Yeah, negative 12. 12. Killing like migratory, like killing birds that are. There was a dead bird right by my house. I, I didn't tell you all that, but the morning I was skinning squirrels after our first day, there was a hat. I mean, he was alive laying there. I kind of nudged him, and they, I could tell he was going down. Yeah, those woodpeckers like froze to death. All of the same vintage, too. It wasn't like, oh, he died a month ago. It was like, yeah. Remember when we went and got coffee the first morning? We park. I get out, and I could have missed it, but you don't think I would miss it because it's like it's one of those spots on the sidewalk where they've got a little spot cut out. There's like a little bit of dirt and a tree growing out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was snow holding tree there. Well. Tree well. Tree well. Hol- snow holding Maybe. there, and it was fresh as could be. We go and get coffee, and I come back, and I open the door, and as I open the door, and I look to the ground, and right there, you know, like the door had to swing over the top of it, is a dead bird. Clean looking. And I was like, Pretty probably clean. hit a window, but now... Right? Mass event. Just think how many... We may clean the clean the woodpeckers out of this place. Well, not just woodpeckers, but I bet a lot of birds died. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked birds to die. I would have thought, like, rabbits died. You know, and, and this, this strikes at me personally because I have an interest there, but a lot of Neil guy... Died in Texas. No way. Yeah. They just aren't built for cold. No. Hmm. I guess it was real hard on Seek a deer. No, not Seek is uh Axis. Axis deer. A lot of dead Axis deer. A lot of dead Neil guy. Hmm. A, lot, a lot of those exo- exotics. I got a hmm. All right, thanks for joining. Oh, and, so you got pigs are just licking oh, their tusks. What, did the book I mean, when did you start coon hunting and did the book where the red fern grows? How'd that did you read it as a kid? You know, I I, I don't. It, it was influenced. It influenced me just kind of culturally. I can't say that like I read where the red fern grows and wanted to start doing. You know, wanted to start coon hunting. But you know, so that book was took place in northeast Oklahoma. If you remember in the book, Tahlequah, the city of Tahlequah is mentioned. That's where Billy Coleman got his dogs. Got his dogs. And anyway, Tahlequah is like. 45 minutes from here. Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's like, this is this is coon hunting country, you know. I mean, it's funny. When I, when I was a kid and read that book, I didn't really, I, can, I, I imagined the South, but it all, it didn't really, I didn't think of it like a place like this. Yeah. felt like it was, I don't know. But that was the first book I read, and I remember. Really? Very the first book you no, ever no, read? No, that I, that, I, that I cried after reading. Really? Yeah. I just remember being like. You were born to be a coon hunter, Rick Smith. Well, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Suburbs of Bellevue coming. coming there's, a, there's a marketing thing that people use in marketing about touch points. And you like to get someone to buy something, right? There oftentimes there needs to be six touch, like on average, like six touch points. Mm. And in marketing, you're just trying to provide yet another touch point. You could describe where the red fern grows as perhaps a touch point. Yeah. In your journey. For sure. Read the book. Great movie. I especially like the nighttime scenes. Mm. Really felt like it was nighttime. Really warms my heart to see those <laughs> nighttime. Our nighttime scenes are going to really feel like nighttime. We got some good stuff. Next season for all you listeners out there, yeah. and all the child, perfor- all the child performances were stellar. 
Well, everybody it, did a phenomenal job, child action. Hey, uh, is, is Mingus back? Clay and I are going to go out again tonight. Is he back on the team? We're gonna, yeah, we're going to yeah. get the cast. See, that's that's what I want. You're not going to bring Yanni out there and make him stand there trying to restrain <laughs> that dog. That's what I was saying. If there's not anything, we'll just turn him loose tonight. Yeah. Saddest thing go, on the planet, huh? man. Poor Yanni standing yeah. there trying to restrain that hey, dog. I want to say, no, your son to, Bear and I, we have a plan. And that dog Good. crying because he can't go out. <laughs> No, hey, it means the world to me that you guys came to Arkansas. For real. I mean, like, for real. To my family. To Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having it's us. Awesome. Wouldn't, wouldn't it's awesome it. down here. Wouldn't miss it. Thank you, everybody. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close... You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.